Our Old Testament reading is from the prophet Isaiah in the 43rd chapter. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. This is the word of the Lord. In our epistle reading this day from the letter to the Philippians in the third chapter. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own brother. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise as you are so inclined and honor the gospel. Our gospel reading this day from Luke's gospel in the 20th chapter. And he, Jesus, began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. And this one also they wounded and cast out. And then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? 
He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Now the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for gathering us together around your word, around your gifts, and gathering us together as your church. We pray, Lord, that you work by your Holy Spirit. Lead us and guide us. Remove distractions from our hearts and minds as you ground us in Jesus, and in his name we pray. Amen. This time of year in the church calendar of Lent is always an interesting one because we jump all over the place. Okay? You heard in the announcements earlier, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, where we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, yet today's parable is told after that date. So we're not on this chronological walk through Lent. It's more of a thematic walk through Lent as we look at all of the things that Jesus came to die for and rise for and what he has been doing for his church, for his vineyard, for his people. So in the parable today as Jesus is walking around and teaching, let's just kind of get a ground of the setting real quick. The triumphal entry has already happened, okay? The season of Passover is already kind of starting to get into full swing. Jesus has already come into the temple mount and cleared the temple area of all of the money changers and the business that was going on around the temple and cleansing the whole temple of all the things that would distract people from that particular place. A place where God promised to be in his house for his people, to hear prayer, to receive sacrifices, and to receive the gifts given out of all the gifts that God had already given to his people. His authority had already been challenged by the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests. They had already asked him, by what authority are you doing all of these things? They couldn't answer his question, so he didn't answer their questions. And he's walking around the Temple Mount. You know what this place looks like, actually. It's the Temple Mount, that's still standing today. It's the place where the temple once stood, where there is now a, a Muslim shrine more than mosque, but a shrine sitting in the midst of the place. And it's the western wall where all of the uh, traditional and Orthodox Jews and others will gather on the Sabbath for prayer and everything else, not really being allowed to be up on the Temple Mount to do such things really quite, quite interesting. If you go there today, you have to show where you're from before you walk up there. And the security is handled by Israeli forces, yet the Temple Mount is owned by the Palestinians. And so as the Palestinians are up there and Jews come up, they're not allowed to pray up there. They're not allowed to stand still up there. 
fact, they have to keep walking, which is really interesting as you watch people walk and slightly talk to themselves under really hushed tones as they walk around and try to pray up on the Temple Mount nonetheless. It's a large place. Several hundred thousand people can fit up there all at one time. And this is the place that when the temple once stood, that second temple that was built, Jesus was in that place teaching outside the temple walls in the courts at the Temple Mount. As people followed him around as they would walk and then gather in certain places on this Temple Mount to talk and teach. And as he is there and people have been questioning him about his authority to do things and wondering whether or not he was the one that was there to care for everything as the people gathered around, he told a parable. He said, a man planted a vineyard and then lent it out to tenants and went into a far country. This parable would have immediately started to ring in the ears of the people because anytime you've got God talking about vineyards, the people start to think about the people of Israel. All throughout Scripture, they are uh, trying to think of the right word. Uh, all throughout vineyard, they all vineyard. All throughout Scripture, they are seen and talked about as God's vineyard. And so, whenever He talks through the prophets, and whenever He talks through uh, those who are sharing his word, he talks about his people as a vineyard. And if you go back into the Old Testament and even through the Psalms as well, you're going to hear talk about vineyards. Sometimes it's a vineyard that uh, good grapes were sought, yet wild grapes grew. Other times it's going to be about those who cared for the vineyard. In this particular one, Jesus is talking about those tenants who were caring for the vineyard. And I know you've heard a lot of that, so let's put it into some terms that make a little more sense to us for today. I want you to imagine a house, a house that uh, your forefathers lived in eight generations ago. Now, maybe there aren't houses in California that quite go that far back, but pretty close. So just imagine it, that there was a house that your family had always lived in, and there was no actual monies of rent ever expected, but you were just there to tend, for the, tend to the grounds that were around the house, help with the maintenance of the house, and anything you needed would be provided to you, but you were expected to care for the place. Keep it up. Make sure that it didn't become dilapidated or anything like that. And then, generation after generation, it's handed down. Now, in the early generations, they knew that the house was not theirs, but the house was the owner's, landlord's, right? But as the generation started to go on, some of that communication may have broken down a little bit. And now it was seen more as the family's house because we were the ones taking care of it and we are the ones managing it and we are the ones that were doing things. And so we started to work on this house in a way to where that house was no longer the owners, really, because why would it be theirs? They've been distant for so long. It's really those of the people who are taking care of it. Until the owner comes back, or at least sends a servant. Sends a servant uh, to come, a, a business partner of sorts, to come and say, look, the owner wants to make sure everything's going well at the house. And instead of walking them around for a tour and letting them take pictures, you punch them in the face and make sure that they run away. So he sends another business owner, partner. Same thing. Finally down to his most beloved business partner, his son. 
And he says, look, go talk to these folks at the house. Make them know that this house is not theirs, but it is ours. And as uh, they have been caring for this house and basically taking squatters' rights and ownership over this house, we need to let them know that this is not in their family name but ours. So the son comes. And you decide to take him down to some back alley somewhere and, well, make sure he doesn't make his way back to dad. Mainly because you think that if you do that, the house will definitely be yours. Now, in those moments, you say, that's absurd. That's exactly what the people in Jesus' day, when they heard this parable, were thinking as well. When they said, may it never be. Like, that is the most ridiculous answer to a solution ever. Now, culturally, if the owner had a son and the son died and the owner had died, then that land would go to those who were managing it. Absolutely. Yet, none of that was really ever in the story. I mean... The owners were just kind of starting to jump the gun a little bit here and say, you know what, if we just take out the sun, then this place will be ours. It'll be us who's in control. We don't have to worry about answering to anybody else or giving rent to anybody else or really giving any fruit back of any sort to this person at all. It will solely be ours. That's where the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees had gotten to. See, they had been given responsibility of God's church, given responsibility of the vineyard, given the managerial rights to make sure that this vineyard was cared for and tended to, that God's people received God's word and truth and purity and that they were well attended to. Not only when they obeyed the rules, but also when they were in positions in life where they were suffering or walking through trials to make sure that the widows and the orphans and that everybody was cared for. And that wasn't happening. And so Jesus brought all this to light as he spoke with the people. See, and as we hear these words, we are going to hear them at a bunch of different levels. Parables are just that way. In a church leader position, this parable is scary. Because Jesus was talking to the managers and vineyard workers and those who were there to tend for and care for this vineyard. And in wanting to make sure that it was cared for well, he was telling this parable. And if you notice at the very end, who were the folks that didn't just think it was absurd, but saw that the parable was against them, the chief priests and the scribes, the leaders of the church. Now, this isn't scary in a way to where I'm worried as a pastor about God's wrath coming down upon me or things like that. And it's not because of the job I'm doing. Yet, what I see in it is absolutely the weight of the importance that God has for the care of his vineyard. And to know that if I were to ever go off track, God would lead others to take care of his vineyard. That's what he does. That's what he's done all throughout history. As soon as folks would come in to lead his vineyard, lead his church away from his word, he makes sure that others come in to speak his word in truth and purity. And that's a beautiful blessing that God has given to his church. And as we sit as parents, 
friends and grandparents start to realize that this vineyard, this church, has actually been given to you, too. And how did that happen? Well, see, originally, this church of God, this people of God, was given to be cared for by the Levitical priests, right? And as he speaks through this entire parable, he is recounting the entire history of the people of Israel. He's letting them know where their roots were and what all was going on. So as God had set them up as a people and planted them in a place and sent people in to care for this vineyard and then sent prophets in to make sure that things were going well and to keep the vineyard on track and to receive the glory of that vineyard to be given back to God. You hear the echoes of the words of the prophets speaking into the people of Israel to call them back to God's word. And as time had gone on and the people had gone on and the leaders had gotten a little further and further away from what was initially intended for God's people, as the leaders started to lead towards self-control rather than God's control of the vineyard, God continued to bring a voice into things. And as Jesus recounted that history, they all kind of saw it. And then, there's those beautiful words, then the owner sent his beloved son. That beloved son sent into the midst of the vineyard to claim it, and not just take it for himself, but to take it from those who were mistreating the vineyard and hand it to others. There was a leadership change coming. And that's exactly what happened. As Christ died for his church and rose for his church to care for his vineyard, he then did not take the reins of everything into himself, but raised up others to hand it off to. There were about 12 of them that followed Jesus. Hands it off to the apostles, the disciples, those who were close to Jesus, learning from him and seeing how he cared for his vineyard. And then as he rose from the grave and he looks at them and he says, go, baptize, teach everything that I've commanded you. And as they taught, they handed it down through the generations. And now all of a sudden, the care for that vineyard is handed in to a whole lot more hands than just those who were in the church leadership. You see, we're here to guide and speak. In fact, you all call your pastors and church teachers and leaders so that they would go into God's word and bring it back to you and speak it to you. But the care for God's vineyard happens well beyond the scope of just those in the office of pastor or the office of teacher. See, he's handed his vineyard over to you. And that can seem like a heavy burden and weight when you start to feel like you have to care for the own vineyard, but that's not it. You haven't been sent in to care for the whole vineyard. You've been sent to care for maybe a vine, maybe one branch, a piece of that vineyard because it is Christ's vineyard. It is him who is the vine. It is him who is the heart of it. It is him who is the source and of all the goodness and love that comes from that vineyard. And as he pours into his vineyard and works through your hands to care for it, you know that others have been sent into that vineyard to care for you. And that's where our peace can be found. Knowing that God continues to till the soil and God continues to work the vineyard and God continues to send his spirit into the vineyard to point it back to Christ 
because we're all part of this vineyard. Different pieces and different parts to play in the care for it. And it's still God's vineyard. It's not mine. It's not Pastor Bob's. It's not any other pastor that's part of God's church or his vineyard anywhere else. See, that's where some places would start to get off track. It's always God's vineyard. It's always his whom he loves. It's always his that he uh, works through to bear fruit. And it's always his that he looks for that fruit to come back. But see, he's done the work to even do that. As he has sent his beloved son into that vineyard. Not just to be kicked out of it and killed, but to rise again and give it life. To hand it over to uh, those who would care for it, not on their own ability, but by his guidance and his leading and his working through them for the care of the vineyard. And so whenever you're feeling overwhelmed about what to do in God's church, remember that the scope of what he's likely called you into is much closer to home than you may think. Because his word is spoken not only in pulpits, but also around dining tables, and in living rooms, and in back patios, and places where we get to speak God's word to one another and care for all these beautiful vines and branches of the vineyard. And then as you come back here and get to hear more of the forgiveness that God has worked for you in Christ, he looks down and he's thankful for all the fruit that comes back and gives glory to him as he's the one that continues to care for, lift up, and provide for that vineyard. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown us. We pray, Lord, that you would keep our eyes focused upon Christ as the root and vine of this vineyard, as the one who is the source of all things of your church. And we pray, Lord, that you... Lead us to places where we would speak your word so that your vineyard would be continually cared for, bringing glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to rise as you are able and we will sing.